Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Amen. Would you preach with me for a little while today? Praise God. The book of Zechariah, the book of Zechariah chapter 2, I want to read verses 1 and 2, and um, I'm thankful to be home today. I am privileged privileged to preach in more pulpits than I deserve, and I say that sincerely, but this is my favorite place to preach. Amen. My favorite place to preach. I was preaching somewhere not long ago, and the media team, just like they do here, want your scriptures and things of that nature, and so um, I had just one verse that day, and so I gave that verse to the lady working behind the computer. She goes, oh, just one verse. I said, don't get your hopes up. <laughs> don't, don't, don't get your hopes up. Amen. She, she had a good time with that. The book of Zechariah, chapter 2, verse number 1. The Bible says, I lifted up mine eyes again and looked, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. Then said I, whither goest thou? And he said unto me, to measure Jerusalem, to see what is the breadth thereof and what is the length thereof. Amen. Well, I know that's a, just a launching place for us today, but Zechariah in a vision, he saw a man with a measuring line. So what are you doing? He said, I'm going to measure Jerusalem. I want to see, I just want to see how long it is. And I want to see how wide it is. And so if the Lord will help me and if you'll help me today, I want to preach from this thought, measuring Jerusalem. Measuring Jerusalem. And you can be seated and thank you for your worship and your attention today. We live in a society that emphasizes the value of measurement in many, many respects. We measure uh, the success of a person's career by how much money we think they have or the car they drive, the clothes they wear. And there seems to be telltale signs for us, at least, to measure how comfortable somebody may be in their life, in their setting. We measure the value of a house by its square footage or perhaps its design. And these lists could go on and on and on. But we love to measure things, evaluate them, weigh them. When Zechariah was returning with the exiles, the children of Israel had been held captive in Babylon. And they were Babylonian captives. But the Lord was going to deliver them and they were being brought at this particular time in Scripture. They were being brought back to Jerusalem. Now, these people have been in captivity for 70 years, and I don't want to belabor the issue, but I think it's very important for you to understand the background. So they have been in captivity for 70 years, 
and uh, Jerusalem has been laid waste, and now they are being brought back home, and so they're, they're somewhat despondent. I think that would be a fair word. Although the Jews suffered greatly, and they faced a lot of cultural pressures in that foreign land while being held captive, I think it is also safe to say that they maintain their overall spirit and seemingly they maintain their spiritual integrity, or at least for the most part. Thankfully, during this time of exile, they were not completely alone. They had voices of prophets. They had voices of men like Ezekiel. They had voices of men like Jeremiah that kept pointing to a day of returning. They realized that we're here, but we're just here now. And that we're going to go home. There is a better day ahead. But even though they had been under the captivity of the Babylons, some, ironically, did not want to return to Jerusalem. In fact, some of them did not return to Jerusalem. You would think if you were to pass by any jail, any prison, anywhere somebody was being held captive, and you just said, you know, today is the release day. And that there we would be bewildered if someone said, no, I think I'm good. I'm just going to hang out right here. We would be somewhat uh, puzzled by that. But I think there could be some reasons. I want just to explore a few of those. I think that it's entirely possible that some of them may have felt like they were too old to return. And so when we consider that they were there 70 years, we don't know how old they were when they got there, some of them. And so there would have been many that just felt like, I don't think I can make the journey. It's 900 miles back from where I am to where uh, we are going. And so I'm not sure that I can make that journey. Maybe some, oddly, like the children of Israel when they were in Egypt, maybe they refused to move because they had grown accustomed to some of the comforts of Babylon, even though they were in captivity. Many of them have been born in Babylon during this time. So think about that. They knew nothing else but Babylon. And so uh, they don't even understand the big deal of going back to Jerusalem. They didn't get it. Maybe that's why, maybe that's why some. Some of them attained significant status while they were in Babylon under the rule of Cyrus. Therefore, maybe they were just too comfortable. We'll just leave life and status quo. Unfortunately, there were also perhaps a segment of them that were just absolutely living in disobedience to God. And they said, I'm not going. I'm just going to stay where I am. And as a result, they would have not felt in their spirit sensed to return to Jerusalem. Some didn't return to Jerusalem because it, it, it's going to be a lot of work. I mean, we're going back to a place of ruin. We're going back to a place where the walls are down and, and the gates are torn down. That's why Nehemiah was a part of this and and uh, he felt compelled to go but they were perhaps some that didn't feel compelled to go and so here is our text maybe now we understand a little bit more of the backdrop and so our text takes us to a vision of Zechariah as he prayed and in this vision he comes to a man with a measuring line in his hand and the bible says when he was questioned what what are you doing Uh, What are your plans with a measuring stick? He said, I'm going to measure Jerusalem. And then Zechariah makes an interesting observation, and I'm not here to pick on anybody, but if you'll follow me all the way through with this, I think you would agree. Uh, Hezekiah makes an interesting observation 
that it wasn't an older man in this vision with a measuring line, but it was a young man in this vision. Because often, if we're not careful in our youth, and you can define youth, I'm not just talking about teenagers, but in our youth, we can be, we can be very prone to measuring things. We can be very prone to measuring things like what kind of clothes we're wearing, what kind of car we're driving. So I'm not picking on teenagers today. I want you to keep a a bigger group of us than that young. If we're not careful, we have a penchant for measuring those things, and we want to bring some sort of value to that. We feel compelled to give everything some measure of worth. Perhaps a more seasoned man or woman would have known that you can't measure everything. And you can't weigh everything. And so it was this young man. I believe it's safe to say that we could find the value of a house by measuring its square footage and and its design and weigh that against the housing market of that particular area. And, and, And I assure you that you could come up with some sort of a price, uh, some sort of a value on this house. But I would also suggest to you that you couldn't put a value on the price of a home. You can, you can value a house, but you can't value a home because there's just some things that can't be measured. Some things that just can't be measured. And so maturity and wisdom would understand that there are, are things in life that you're never going to be able to put that in a column. You're never going to put that in a bracket. It will never fit. But today we have that propensity, that bent in us to just measure everything that we can. And as harmless as that sounds... And in many ways, as harmless as it is, if we're not careful, we will try to also measure spiritual things in, in our lives as well. Not just the physical, natural things that we try to measure. We'll, we'll start trying to measure uh, the spiritual things. We are tempted, if we're not careful, <clears throat> to measure a church service by the number of people that are in attendance. Well, we had great church today. The house was full. Everything went well. Every note was right. Every beat was just right. If we're not careful, we can say that was good because of how we measured that. And then we can come into another service and maybe there's sickness and vacation and maybe they're just people that are absent without leave and we come in and we see all these vacancies and we are prone to want to measure that and put that in a different category. Amen. And so that's where it gets dangerous. It, we're tempted to, to measure a ministry by the number that's on the pew or the size of a building and, and we can break out our charts and our graphs and our systems and our strategies and I am personally Personally, not against any of those things. I want a plan. We're going to have a plan. However, we're going to find ourselves in trouble if we try to distill the worth of a church or the worth of a ministry down to what we can weigh or what we can measure and put it in our own little Excel spreadsheet because that's not how the kingdom of God operates. That is not how the church works. We can't measure what's going on in this very service today. There would be no way, no way the Spirit of God that was just moving in the first service, the presence of God so palatable in our praise and worship. I couldn't measure what those songs meant to me today. I've heard every one of those songs before. Amen. Every one of those songs, was it was not the first time through for us. I've heard those, but it ministered to me differently because I'm in a different place in my life this morning. Amen. We're all in a different place. And so ministry finds us in those unique intersections. 
And so in this vision, the prophet sees a man with a measuring line in his hand. And, and so naturally, naturally, he asked, what, what are you doing? And it was a rather frank reply. The man didn't have to clear his throat. He didn't have to scratch his head. He, he was right out of the gate. He tells him, I am going to measure Jerusalem, and I'm going to find out how high it is. I'm going to find out how long it is. I'm going to find out how wide it is. Now, can you just imagine trying to measure Jerusalem. Can you try imagine trying to put into feet and inches, amen, the work of God or encompass the great purpose of God? Amen. How do you sit down and put into square feet the city of Jerusalem? And, and how do you understand that by just your pencil and your tape measure? If we keep reading, we stop reading in verse number two, but if we were to have kept reading, when you reading, when you get to verse number four, the Bible says that the Lord in verses three and four, the Lord said, you go back to him. You go back to that man with that measuring line in your hand and tell him in verse number four, it says, Jerusalem shall be inhibited as towns without walls for the multitude of men and the multitude of cattle. Hallelujah. That shall be therein. If I could say the same thing another way, I would just say it this way. He went back to him. The Lord said, you go back to him and tell him you can't measure Jerusalem. You can't just break out a tape measure and measure the kingdom of God, the worth of God, because it is a city without walls. A summary of Isaiah 54. The Bible would say, Enlarge thy place, 54 and 2. The Bible says, Enlarge thy, the place of thy tent, and let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitations. Spare not, lengthen the cords, and strengthen thy stakes. And in verse number 3, he said, For thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left hand. You can't measure the work of God. Amen. He said, What you'd better do is go lengthen your cords. Amen. What you, what, what you had better do is just go establish those, those stakes. Amen. Because this thing is about to break out and it's going to break out on the right hand and it's going to break out on the left hand. Because I've just come to this pulpit this morning to tell you that there are some things that have such magnitude that a measuring line, a calculator, some sort of a, some sort of a graph or a chart, you're never going to be able to capture that, Brother Williams. Merely measuring Jerusalem. Merely walking out its square miles or the square miles of its geography is not going to help you understand what the kingdom of God is all about. We're not going to be able to comprehend its worth just because we have measured it out. Measuring Jerusalem will tell you nothing about the prayers that have been prayed. Measuring Jerusalem will tell you nothing about the tears that have been wept. Measuring Jerusalem will tell you nothing about the merit of some things. How would you place a value on Mount Moriah when Abraham started making his way up and he's got wood in one hand and fire in another hand hallelujah how are you going to measure what is about to transpire amen nobody knew what was going on Abraham said I only know this one thing amen you stay here at the bottom of the hill you stay at the bottom of the mountain and here's one assurance that I have I and the lad are going yonder 
and we're going to worship and we're going to return again. I don't know what's going to happen between here and there, but I'm telling you that God is about to do something phenomenal. And so if you're going to walk up this mountain with me, you're not going to need a tape measure. If you're going to walk up this mountain with me, a camera, a video is not going to do you any good. We can't measure what's fixing to happen here. Tell me what it was worth for Abraham to lay Isaac down on that altar and strap him to that altar. Tell me the value of him taking a knife in his hand and drawing it back. Amen. Tell me the value then of that angel's voice that interrupted him and said, Abraham, Abraham. Amen. Tell me the value of the Lord saying, just look, there is a ram that's in the thicket. Hallelujah. Tell me the value of that. You can't measure Jerusalem. We can't walk in into this house and just try to count heads and say okay well we had a good service today we can't walk into this house amen and just say well because so and so preached everything went well no 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 you need to put that tape measure aside because when we walk in these doors and heaven opens up hallelujah and the spirit of the Lord begins to flow whether we are lifting our voices or lifting our hands or God is moving in a more solemn and somber way. Well, you can't walk out and say well nothing happened tonight. You can't walk out and say well nothing happened today. You can't measure the end result of a service by how many people come to the altar. You can't measure the end of that because you can't measure Jerusalem. Amen. Amen. Some things just can't be measured. Nobody is shrewd enough to put a measurement on the work of God. So no wonder Zechariah ran back out there and stopped him and said, you can't do this. You can't measure Jerusalem. None of us are going to have the spiritual discretion to ever be able to measure and and gauge the the true value of a ministry and, and its eternal impact. How are you going to do that? When we consider the economy of souls, we have to set aside our measuring devices. I mentioned it a moment ago, but you, you, you don't measure a home by square footage. You measure a home by its heart and by its love. You measure a home by the, the, by the measure of, of refuge that it has become to so many people that walk through those doors at the end of every day. You don't measure an altar by its how long it is, how wide it is, how high it sets off the floor. You can't measure an altar. I'm, I'm sure we could measure a literal altar. And, and I know many have their own personal altars. And maybe you can measure that place where you pray. But you can't measure a real altar in feet and inches. Amen. You've got to measure that altar by the prayers that were offered up to God there. Amen. You measure it by the tears that stained its fabric. You measure, you measure an altar by the number of marriages that it saved. You measure an, an altar by the number of prodigals that it just welcomed back. Amen. They come staggering in the door. They didn't think there was any hope. They come staggering back with nothing left. But when they got there, amen, they found an altar that had its arms wide open. Hallelujah. An altar. It's already been said many times today about how the angels rejoice over one sinner that repents. Are you hearing me today? That's how you measure Jerusalem. That's how you measure Jerusalem. You measure it by the tears. You measure it by the sacrifice. You measure it by the travail. Amen. 
you, you, you can't gauge a church by its square footage or its seating capacity because there is a dimension to the work of God that is spiritual. It's beyond our ability to, to conceive or comprehend as humans. We can't say this is what happened or this is what did not happen. A number of, a number of years ago, uh, was, uh, an elder pastor friend was telling me about receiving in his earlier ministry years, receiving an invitation to go to uh, California and preach a revival. And so he flew out to California and and, and spent several days there in a revival and they had, the church had been praying and fasting and believing God for just an outpouring, a breakthrough. That's what they were praying for. He was certainly an adept minister of the gospel and he went and he preached and he said that one 12-year-old girl got the Holy Ghost. He came home and he felt so defeated because they had been really pumping this up and believing that, that great things were going to happen. And this is his confession it's his story amen I went believing that God was going to do great things and one little girl got the Holy Ghost come home feeling like you know what happened what what's going on here and and maybe there were people in the church that thought well that was a little anticlimactic night after night after night after night and only one young lady got the Holy Ghost amen I, I'm not trying to be crude I'm just trying to be human Many years later, he was at a conference and a grown woman came up to him and she said, Sir, you don't remember me, but I am that 12-year-old girl that received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and that revival in California. And I want you to know that after the Lord filled me with the Holy Ghost, I was able to be a witness to my mother and my father and they received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I witnessed to my siblings and they received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Are you hearing me today? Amen. When we show up on the job, even when we show up on God's job and we've got our measuring tape in our hand, we might walk away with an impression that something didn't happen. Amen. But you just let God and time have its way. You, woo, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen, you just cast your bread on the water. Just cast your bread on the water. Amen, we may dismiss a many a service around here and think, well, I don't sure anything happened, but I'll assure you something happened. Amen, because the word of God went forth. And so the next time, the next time you feel compelled and you can help me remember this as well the next time I feel compelled to say well it didn't happen for us today amen somebody just say you can't measure Jerusalem you can't measure Jerusalem we don't know what happened here today we don't know how far this seed is going to go we don't know how far the wind will take this word we don't know what God is going to give birth to you can't measure Jerusalem. You can't measure Jerusalem. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. I say, oh God, help us in this day to put our trust in your word. Help us to put our trust in your word. And when we have shared your word, we have to leave it in your hands. Let's clap our hands. That other angel ran to Zachariah and said, go get him. 
That angel ran to Zechariah and said, you better go fix that. Put that measuring line up, sir. Because Jerusalem is a city without walls. Amen. As a matter of fact, her walls, he said, her walls are going to be a ring of fire. Amen. Her walls are going to be the spirit of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Her walls are going to be my power. Because you can't define things in life by measurement. My mother was a small frame lady. Many of you may remember her. My mom at her heaviest probably didn't weigh 90 pounds. I could describe the color of her eyes and talk to you about what a great cook and homemaker she was. But when I finished talking to you, I would have not conveyed her real worth. I could not weigh her devotion to personal prayer and the study of the word of God. I could tell you about my quiet and unassuming, the quiet and unassuming demeanor of my father. I could share with you his vocation and his knack for growing a great garden, but I could never really weigh out to you the value of his devotion to the work of God. Amen. I could never speak to you their worth of combined prayers over our family. How do you measure such things? You can't. The Bible says of Jerusalem, which is above free, the mother of us all. The New Testament church was born in the womb of Jerusalem, in that upper room. But the church didn't stop there. The gospel made an immeasurable impact on countless lives around the world. Judas, you know, he was that man guilty, trying to measure stuff. When he saw Mary break open that bottle, that alabaster box. He panicked. You, you know what that's worth? He could have sold this. I don't really think that's what he was up to. I think he just had a bad spirit. But you, we, we could have sold that and give it to the poor. But if someone could have said, Judas, just get down on your knees. Crawl up over there. Crawl over there by her. (laughs) Just get close enough that you can hear her breath. Get close enough. Get close enough that you can smell that ointment from her vantage point, not yours. And I believe it'll take on a different meaning. I believe you'll understand. I believe you'll understand that she's not trying to throw money down the drain. She's trying to give everything she has because she realizes that you can't put a price on worship. You can't put a price on this. You can't do it. You can't do it. Amen. I'm going to ask our musicians to come. In the culture of Pentecost, we have a love for statistics. And, in all fairness, kept in check... I think good things can come from attention to detail. We count our missions offering attendance and Bible studies and Holy Ghost infillings and baptisms and things of that nature. However, there are so many things about the work of a church and the work of ministry that you just can't measure. Somebody please give me the value of walking through these doors when your life was just upended. 
I'm not talking about before you got the Holy Ghost. But when you were just fighting hell on all four corners. And you walked through the door and peace just filled your heart. Nobody was singing. Nobody was worshiping. Nobody was preaching yet. You just walked in the building. And the Spirit of God just brought peace. 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 Amen. We had all better be thankful. Somebody wasn't standing there with a a machine to swipe our card and try to pay for that. We couldn't put a value on that because some things are just too big to measure. And so I think we should really learn to appreciate the things that we can't measure. We can't put the work of apostolic ministry in some sort of bracket or category and, and say, well, this is what this was worth. Because you can't measure Jerusalem. I don't say this because I am a pastor. And I don't say this because my wife is a pastor's wife. But I just ask you this. How much would one pastor matter? How much would one pastor's wife really matter? How would you come up with some figure to say, well, we stop here. Because we don't know the hours of travail that somebody has prayed over us. Amen. I'm including myself because I have a pastor. Amen. And so the old adage, you've heard me use it many other times before, but because of a loose nail, the horseshoe was lost. Because the horseshoe was lost, the horse was lost. And because the horse was lost, the rider was lost. And because the rider was lost, the message was lost. And because the message was lost, the battle was lost. And because the battle was lost, the war was lost. And the war was lost. Because the war was lost, the nation was lost. And it all went back. To the nail. So if we were just a shake out a few nails on the counter and slide one out of that pile and say, how much do you think that's worth? Well, we could probably value that somehow. But when you drove that spike, that nail into that horse's hoof, and the horse got a rider, and the rider got a message. Right. Oops. It went off the chart then because it wasn't just another nail. It was a nail attached to something that had eternity in it. Amen. And so what? Oh, we could value this Bible. Yes, we could value this iPad. We could put a value on this pulpit. But how would we value what comes across it? How would we value what comes out of it? And how could we value what it means to us when we receive it in our spirit? Let's stand. Can we do that? Thank you, Jesus. You can't measure Jerusalem. Oh, we can't measure Jerusalem. We just can't do it. We just can't do it. When we begin with such trains of thought, we're circumventing the very work that God has called us to do. I know I've said this, especially among our ministers recently, but and from this pulpit recently, but I want to just say it again. We have got to learn how to better trust the seed. Amen. It sounds almost silly to say this, but it's true. If we could just have the courage that a farmer has, 
They push that seed in the soil and go home. <laughs> you don't find them at 3 o'clock in the morning with some flashlight out there digging it up trying to figure out how it is. I'm not trying to insult your intelligence this morning or insult mine for that matter. But they put that seed in the ground with just wholehearted faith in the seed. They may not have laid this row off as straight as they wanted it and Maybe everything wasn't working just right, but my confidence is in the seed. And if the seed is right, the harvest will be right. And I'll tell you, the seed's right. We can trust this seed. And even in times of drought and seasons of uncertainty, when we are pressed in our heart to doubt, when we're pressed in our heart to question, when we are standing in the mirror scratching our head I wonder Lord why something more is not going on that we can see with our eyes I get it I live in the same world you live in amen why can't we see more why can't we know more why can't we feel sense more amen in those times I've got to have that other angel run up to me and say you don't measure Jerusalem like that that's not how you measure Jerusalem Amen. There's a season of putting that seed in the ground. A season. The Bible says there's going to be one that plants. And there's going to be another that waters. But it's God that's going to give the increase. Amen. So I'm not about to question God. I'm just going to keep planting. How many will keep helping me plant and help me water? Amen. And we're going to believe the Lord. Let's worship Him in this song. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806. Or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.